Hello, and thanks for listening to this week's message from the Napoleon Church of the Nazarene, where we exist to help people take their next step in a transforming relationship with Jesus Christ. We hope that as you listen, you are both encouraged and challenged as you take that next step in your walk with Christ. We are continuing in our series through the book of Colossians. This has been a remarkable journey, a remarkable journey for this summer. And so today we're going to be in chapter 2. We're starting in chapter 2. We're about halfway, uh, not, e- not even halfway there. We're taking all the way through August, walking through the book of Colossians. Last week we learned all about the evidence that tells us there is a victory for today. Not just a victory for the future, but a victory for today that we can experience. Paul has been filling and encouraging our hearts. Well, today we're shifting from the heart to the brain. Actually, we started this last week as Paul spent the good portion of chapter 1 encouraging our hearts, reminding us who we are and whose we are. And then, so last week, we started looking at what Paul was doing with our brains as he was trying to reorient our minds the way we think about things. And so today, we continue that. We continue not only to see the evidence about why there is victory today or how there is victory today, but we continue to see how we can discover victory for today. Not just a future victory in heaven, but a victory for today. You know, I, uh, I have this weird quirk about me I, I really enjoy interviews. I love being interviewed for jobs. Not because I get all the jobs. I haven't gotten all the jobs. But the thing about interviews is that as you're walking through them, as you're preparing for them, there's this surge of adrenaline that just pumps through your body. And you're just getting ready for it. You're wondering, what's that question going to be? What are they going to ask me? And you're, It's this big puzzle trying to figure out the person on the other side of the table. And one, one time I had an interviewer look at me. And they asked, hey, how do, how do you handle stress? And I look at him, how am I doing now? And I got that job. It worked out well. One time I had an interviewer look at me, and they looked at me, and they said, hey, why, why do you want to work at this company and not the company down the road where they're doing the exact same thing? Why would you come here? And I'm like, why not? And they liked it. They liked that answer. And these, these answers that seem like, okay, not everyone's going to answer. It made me stick out a little bit. Well, I'd like to say that this latter interview that I just talked about was all about me and all my wit and merit and, and charm. And that's what got me even an interview. Unfortunately, that's not the case. This interview that I was doing, it came as a result of this internship fair during undergrad where all of the engineers, they walk in this hallway. I mean, there's hundreds of us going from business to business to business, handing out our very prettified resumes, trying to make sure that we look the best and that we stand out. Well, I didn't exactly have, you know, the best resume. It was decent. It wasn't the best resume. And I was a little insecure walking around. So guess what I did? I rode the coattails of my twin brother. And wherever he went, that's where I went. And I walked around with him. And if he went into a company, I was standing right by his side. Hey, remember us? We're the twins. Yes. People don't forget twins, especially when they're walking right beside each other. It was so bad. One company, I looked at him, and I said the wrong company's name. Luckily, Jordan was there. And he kind of gave me the elbow, and I corrected my answer. 
Well, finally, there was one particular company. They were the ones that uh, people desired to have an interview with them. If you got an interview with them, it was going to be good. Excuse me, it was going to be good. So I, I walked with Jordan over here, and I'm like, I've got to get the company's name right this time. And, and we start talking. And lo and behold, the very thing that made us stick out the most wasn't even the fact that we were twins. Jordan had tied his tie in this weird, fancy knot. And that's what we ended up talking about as we're standing there. And lo and behold, I got an interview out of it. And then I got a job out of it. Yeah, my resume was decent enough to get me to the job, but I kind of just rode the coattails. Now, I wasn't thinking along those lines of thanking Jordan for getting me that job. I was like, yeah, this is me. My resume did this. My merit. I looked good. I looked the part. I got myself the job. A few weeks later, I was humbled. One of my friends in class, he basically accused me, saying, you didn't get that because of how good you are. You got that because you're a twin. You just rode the coattails. You stood out as a twin. They remembered you, so they just gave you an interview. Oh, that was humbling. And I began thinking about it because here's my buddy right here. He's a 4.0 engineering student. I was not a 4.0 engineering student. I'm going to tell you right now. But here he is. He's the one who's helping me with my homework, not the other way around. And he didn't get an interview that he wanted. He looks at me. You didn't get that. You didn't deserve that. You didn't earn that. It's because you're a twin. Who could I, I, I had no argument. That really hurt me. As I began thinking about it, yeah, sure, maybe my resume was decent enough to get the job, but it certainly didn't make me stand out. And who was I to blame him? He wanted that job. He wanted a good job. And he had worked his tail off to get that 4.0, to get what he thought was rightfully his. You know, as, as humans... We love to do things on our own. We love to be able to say, it was me that did this. It was me that earned this. So we, all throughout our lives, we work so hard. We work so much so that we can say, I did this. We think to ourselves, if we work hard enough, if we make all the right decisions, if we never do anything wrong, then Life should work out for us. But if we have lived for more than five minutes, we realize that it doesn't. You know, after working our tails off, we still fall short. After trying so hard to make the right decisions, inevitably we do make that one bad decision. And how about the times that we don't make a mistake? That we do everything correctly, we figure everything out, and life still doesn't pan out the way we thought we could have a 4.0 in life. And we still don't get the job. We still don't get the raise. We still don't have that spiritual high. We did, we've done everything. We've read our Bible every single day. We've gone to every single Bible study. We, we've, we've gotten up at 3 o'clock in the morning. We've done 80-day fast. We've done everything correctly by the book. And things still don't pan out. So the question we have to ask ourselves today, 
The question we have to ask ourselves today is, if doing everything correctly isn't the source for victory, then what is? If having that 4.0 in life and having the best resume out there saying, I've made every good decision possible, if that's not the source for victory today, then what is? Because again, we continue in this conversation. Last week, we learned that there is evidence for victory today. As Christians, we we keep on saying, yes, heaven is our future. But so many of us, we stumble through life just like, heaven come quickly, heaven come quickly. When Jesus, clearly there's, there's something so much more in him. Because if we're just... Heaven come quickly, heaven come quickly. We truly are no different than the rest of the world. And, but as Christians, we are called to be set apart from the world. That there is something more to be had in the today and not just tomorrow. And so Paul, as he opens this letter of Colossians, he's been filling up our hearts, removing insecurities. But today he's aiming for the head because it's holistic in nature, not It can't just be heart victory. It's got to be heart, mind, hands, and feet, the whole gambit of it all. And this is where we discover victory for today. Because when we do everything correctly and life still falls apart, there's got to be something more. There's got to be something for today. So we are in Colossians chapter 2. And I hope you'll join me. Colossians chapter 2 starting in verse 1. Paul continues in saying this. I want you to know how hard I am contending for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ. We'll stop there just briefly. Look at how he opens this this new part up. I want you to know how hard I am contending. He's not contending for his own joy. He's not contending um, to to lift his own spirits. He is contending with the energy and the power of Christ, as it said in the last verse of chapter 1. He is contending with the energy of Christ for the readers, for you and I, to find our victory today. He's not worried at this point in time about our salvation. He's not worried about whether we're going to heaven or not. He's contending for you and I to discover a reason to rejoice today. Not just later on. Not just saying, okay, yeah, heaven is coming, heaven is coming. No, no, no. There is something more going on. And he is fighting for it. He is struggling with it. And we have to ask ourselves, why? Why is Paul struggling so much? Because victory for us As Christians, victory that comes through Jesus is contrary to our inherent nature. We are all, whether we have placed our faith in Jesus or not, we still have a broken nature tainted by sin. Sin is what separates us. And even if we have placed our faith in Jesus, we are still dealing with a broken flesh. The riches... The victory that Paul would have for us go against our very persons. We're not used to this kind of victory. Victory to us is riches and fame and success. But Paul's like, no, 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 no. There's something else. 
and I am contending that you might see it. Since the fall of man, the deception of Eve, we have been born with a mindset that is contrary to all things God. Our hearts may be filled in knowing who we are. Paul, as he wrote in the beginning of this letter, he has filled us up, filled our hearts up. But now he wants the brain to come along with it so that our brain could recognize the truest, most pure, most fulfilling riches we could ever experience. These riches that don't come from our natural mindset. I mean, this is why Paul continues to struggle. He's not fighting not to win over our hearts because that's already done. He's fighting for us to see what's right before us and everything that comes along with it. In the beginning of verse 2, he says, my goal is that they may be encouraged in heart. He's done this. He has encouraged our hearts. If you haven't been around for the previous sermons on this, go back. They're on YouTube. They're on our Facebook page. Find out how Paul is encouraging us, how he is filling up our hearts. But look what it says then after that. It continues saying, not only that they may have encouraged hearts, but that they may be united in love. Another translation says that the hearts may be knitted together. Knitted together in love. You know, so often victory from the world's perspective is seen and expressed through self through our independence, through our autonomy. It's us saying, I have accomplished, I have done this. If we wrestle with depression or anxiety, the world would tell us, no, bunker down, hunker through it, you can do this. And when we do it, we come out saying, this was me, I did it. No matter the expense of sacrificing friendships, family, whatever it may have been, because who cares? You conquered. This is victory from the world's perspective. And things change, right? When you, if you have to say, well, so-and-so, they helped me. So-and-so, I, I couldn't have really done it without them. They, they got it done for me. Things change. The connotations change. None of us like admitting that we needed help. So when Paul says, Hey, I want your hearts to be encouraged, but I don't want it just to be about you. I want your hearts to be knitted together. Our mindset then begins to change. No longer are we thinking about us or me or I and how I can accomplish and how I can earn and how I can bunker down and do this. These riches that lead to full assurance of understanding and knowledge And that's what it says. So they may have full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God. Our hearts must be knitted together. Full hearts. It doesn't matter how good we feel. If we are knitted to somebody else, then all of that is going in vain. Encouraged hearts, full hearts are meant to be overflowing in and out of one another into others. If I'm just over here with a full heart, then that's doing me no good because nobody is actually filling into me and I'm filling no one else. I'm just over here by myself saying, I feel good. And allowing that goodness to just waste away with me. 
But Paul is saying, no, no, no. I want your heart to be encouraged, but I also want it to be knitted together with all other believers. I need the, I need the overflow of someone's heart flowing into mine. So when this happens, we have Christ not only filling up in us, but flowing through others. And so our minds have to work differently. Because Satan would have it be all about me. If Christ is the answer for our future victory, then before I see and experience Christ in heaven, I need to be seeing and experiencing Christ to the fullest now. I can't just wait to see Christ in heaven in the future. We are called to experience Christ in and through others now. These riches that are talked about, they are not of this world. They go everything against this world. Satan, who reigns in this world right now, would say, no, it's all about you. You fight, you fight, you fight. But our brain has to be transformed so that when the riches are right before us, we would recognize them as true riches. Friends, <laughs> I'm going to be honest with you right here, right now. Many of you have placed your faith in Jesus. You know what that means for me? As I look out at each and every one of you, within you are contained the riches of Jesus Christ. We become the riches for one another, flowing in and out of us is the goodness of God himself. And when we can live into that, then comes a complete understanding of who Jesus is. And friends, guess what? I have to be really honest with you again. If you look to your right and to your left and behind you, in front of you, there's someone who has placed their faith in Jesus. That means within them contained, in them is contained the riches of the mystery of God. We cannot do this on our own. But this requires a transformation of the brain. I mean, think about it. If we brought a cell phone down to some indigenous tribe in the middle of uh, South America, completely removed from all technology, and we showed them this cell phone, and be like, hey, here are the riches that are available to you, they would look at this thing, and they'd have no idea why this little glowing handbox is of any value to them. They need to be shown. They need to have it demonstrated. They need to see others using this phone so that their minds would be transformed and saying, ooh, yes, that is something worth value. I could use that in my life. Friends, it's the same way with us. We are that indigenous tribe in the middle of South America living a particular way, and God comes in and says, I have something in store for you. And we need to have our brains, our minds transformed so we recognize what it actually is. Because so many of us, we go about our lives and we look at one another, nah, there's no way this person contains in them riches for me. And all the while, we miss what is right in front of us. Paul has filled up our hearts. Now he's saying, don't let it stay there with just you. Be knitted together with another brother and sister who has placed their faith in Christ and allow Jesus to flow through them into you and you into them. In our brokenness, we are enslaved to our brain in pursuing the quickest, easiest, cheapest sources of fulfillment. This is the work of Satan. 
He allows us to think that we can find fulfillment in ourselves. Sin has it programmed into our brains that we can find fulfillment in ourselves, that we don't need anybody else. And in doing so, in living into this mindset, sin keeps us from experiencing more and more of Christ. You know, when my friend called me out for not having gotten the interview on my own, I was embarrassed. I was humiliated. I felt weak. I felt inferior. I knew he had a better GPA. I knew that because he's the one helping me with my homework. He was a superior engineer. And so in my brain, I began to get defensive, thinking of all the ways that I was better than him. But the fact is, together, Jordan and I, we worked well. We stood out. I needed him. We were better together. Yes, it may have been his tie that got me that job. But it doesn't take away from the fact that I was better with him. Together, as Christians, we can look at each other and analyze who is better, who is worse, who deserves that, who deserves less or more. But as we do that, we will continue to miss the fact that none of us are truly better as long as we are separate. If we can't be knitted together in love, looking past each other's different personalities and the things that annoy us and aggravate us, there will never be a point in time where we truly have a complete understanding of God's mystery. But when we can look past the faults of one another and understand that there is something that they bring to the table bring to the body to make us work to our fullest potential, then all of a sudden in that moment we began to have a complete and more fuller, uh, uh, more fuller, a fuller understanding of who Christ is and what he wants for us today. Not tomorrow, not 50 years down the road, not just stumbling through life waiting for heaven, but that we can begin to achieve victory for today. But friends, this goes against our very nature. It's a dog-eat-dog world that we have been born into. We need to have our brains, our minds changed so that when we look at someone who annoys us or rubs us the wrong way, we don't automatically dismiss them, but we recognize inside them runs Jesus Christ, his spirit, and that they bring something, yes, maybe a little different than what we hoped for, but sometimes we need to be humbled to recognize we can't do it on our own. In verse 3, we continue then. After we've seen that victory for today is found when Christ is overflowing from others into us and to us and to others. This is victory for today. And some of us are thinking to ourselves, there is no way I'm getting connected with anybody else. So I'm t Friends, this is when we begin to miss the victory. When we begin selecting, cherry-picking, I'll get plugged in with these guys, these guys, but no one else. Victory for today is found when Christ is overflowing from others into us and from us into others. And then in verse 3, he continues to explain this mystery of God. He says, the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Disappointment. Treasures of wisdom and knowledge? No. 
I want fame, I want success, I want everything to go perfectly in my life. This is treasure for me. Wisdom? No, I'm not. I don't want wisdom and knowledge. What good does wisdom and knowledge get me? Friends, when it's the wisdom and knowledge of Jesus Christ, it changes everything. I mean, think about it for a second. Is there anyone who could have possibly walked on this earth who experienced more victory than Jesus Christ himself? Okay, no one said anything, so I'm going to assume that we're all in agreement that Jesus, no one else other than Jesus, had a greater sense of victory on a daily basis than Jesus himself. And if he then is flowing in and through us, and we're told that when we're connected together that we have a fuller understanding of him and us, in us, in, in us, yeah, there we go, and through that then we gain wisdom and knowledge then it's only leading us to then realize that it's his wisdom and knowledge flowing through us. And all of a sudden, the way we see the world around us, because, well, wisdom and knowledge is the way that Jesus saw the world when he was walking. Can there be anything greater than that? That the wisdom and knowledge of Jesus Christ is available for you and for me. But again, this doesn't, this is contrary to our nature. We want fame. We want success. We want our kids to look a particular way and do a particular thing. We want everything to work out the way we want it. But friends, I'm telling you right now, as Jesus walked through the world, not everything went the way he would have probably wished it would have. He had to deal with humans. And when you have to deal with humans, guess what? Nothing's going to go the way that you want it. But even still, even still, Jesus walked around as our Savior, hoping that we would understand this very thing, that there is victory for today. This is what Paul is contending for. This is what Christ was sacrificed for. To experience victory like never before. And to experience a victory like never before, then that means the riches that give us that victory must be like never before. We must begin to have our minds transformed the way we view riches, the way we view treasure. Yet Jordan and I, we were lucky to have one another growing up. Every part of me would love to say that everything that I've done to get here to this very moment in time was because of me. All the jobs that I had. I wish I could say they were about me and what everything I have done. But not only did I get the jobs because of Jordan. Shoot, it was my sister-in-law that introduced me to my wife. I can't even take credit for that. My sister-in-law even found me my dog. All these good things that I wish I could say were for myself came from either my brother or my sister-in-law. Can you work with me here? Sympathize. I'm indebted to my sister-in-law for the rest of my life because she introduced me to my wife. <laughs> the fact is, friends, there is more to see when we are together, when it's no longer about what you can earn or what you can fight for, what you are struggling through, but when we are in it together. Friends, when we begin to realize 
that we can't see Jesus fully on our own, but that when we are with others and allowing Jesus to flow from them into us, that is when we begin to see Jesus in the fullest. We begin to see Jesus more fully when we see him in others, not just in ourselves. Jesus in others allows me to see Jesus more fully. You see, victory is seeing the world like Jesus, which can only come from Christians around us. Victory is seeing the world like Jesus when we allow Jesus to flow from others into us and from us into others. Friends, there's further implications to this. Jesus experienced daily victory. We can only assume that it was the greatest. But here's where it gets a little tricky. Because again, this isn't about our mindset, the mindset that we're used to. There's a different mindset to be had. You see, Jesus not only experienced the greatest source of victory and joy perpetually daily throughout his life, Jesus also experienced some of the greatest pain. No, 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 not some of, the greatest pain in his life. Without losing a reason to rejoice. You see, the world would have us believe that sadness and joy are mutually exclusive. This world would have us believe that uh, struggle and relief are mutually exclusive. That pain and joy are mutually, they cannot coexist with one another. But I'm telling you, friends, Jesus experienced the greatest pain this world could ever throw at him without ever losing an ounce of joy. Because his victory was not dependent upon his physical circumstances. So that at one moment, he's feeling the greatest pain and the greatest sadness. But at the same time, there is nothing that could separate him from that source of joy in his life. But friends, how often are we able to walk in sadness and still have reason to rejoice? How often are we, are we able to struggle with everything and still have reason to rejoice. Friends, this is a new kind of victory that we get to celebrate and rejoice in, but our brains, our minds have to be transformed so that we begin to recognize it and see it differently. That we're not just simply avoiding pain, but that we're walking through pain with a, held, a head held high because we are experiencing at the same time victory in Jesus. Victory is seeing the world like Jesus, which can only come when Christians are around us. We need each other. If we are to find reason to rejoice on a daily basis, independent of our physical circumstances, we need each other. And we continue into verse 4 then. I tell you this, so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. Satan would have us believe that sadness and rejoicing, that struggle and relief, that pain and joy cannot co 
exist. People walk through this life are being told that as long as they are happy, then there is their victory. If one is sad, then that simply means that you have to find more of your true self. Keep on digging, keep on, because you can't be sad and, and joyful at the same time. Satan would have us believe that you must keep on pursuing you, find more about you, discover more of you, in order that you can be happy without any sadness. Sadness simply means that they have to keep on going. And can we blame them? You and I, humans across the world, we have been programmed for this since birth, since conception. This is who we are. Friends, it is not our responsibility as Christians then to drive them away, but to show them how incredible our victory is and what they think is their victory is ultimately their source of eternal death. We live in a world that says as long as you are happy, then you are good. And if you're sad, then go find something that makes you happy. But Jesus presents to us a victory that says, no, 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 no. It's not about you, it's about you and so many others. And that yes, you may be sad and you may be walking through this physical circumstance of your life that is driving you into the ground, but I am still reason to rejoice. But we live in a world where, where Satan comes in. I mean, think of the fallenness of our world, friends. Where abortion becomes a solution because it's gonna save them the inconvenience it's going to save someone the inconvenience of giving birth to life. Abortion becomes a solution. We live in a, in a world where homosexuality and transgenderism, transgenderism becomes a solution because someone is, un, is uncomfortable within themselves. And instead of them pointing to something that is greater than themselves, we keep on pointing to you and saying, you find answer in yourself. Friends, this isn't, this isn't something that is out of this world. All of, these, all of these solutions that we give to people are so subjective. Friends, abortion, homosexuality, transgenderism, gossip. Can I, can I throw that into the same frame of reference here? Gossip. It makes us feel better about ourselves. If we can lower somebody else as we climb up on top of them, we feel better. Self-righteousness in the same ballpark. As a culture, we're dealing with maybe the front end, absolutely. Absolutely. And we have to address it as such. But we can't address the front end without also addressing the back end. Yes, you and I, we may be in agreement. Abortion is wrong. Transgenderism is wrong. Uh, homosexuality is wrong. Because they are answers that the world is giving to the world, saying you find the answer within yourself. But so is gossiping, losing our temper, self-righteousness. The world would have us believe. Satan looks at us, he says, hey, are these things really gonna hurt somebody? Satan has us convinced that if we live into these particular lifestyles, no one is actually being hurt. Did God really say, don't do this? God said, love. Go love, yeah. God did say love. But in the same way that Satan went up to Eve and took a truth of God and twisted it, Satan looks at us today. He's coming at each and every one of us. He's coming into this world and he says, hey, didn't God say love? Well, yeah, yeah, I, he did. 
Well, to love somebody, you, you must affirm everything that they do. You must affirm everything that they say. You must affirm if they say it about them, if it makes them happy, then we must affirm this. Friends, this is the foundation of all evil. When Satan comes in, he says, well, didn't, didn't God say this? Then he twists it. The solution isn't within ourselves. But Satan would have us isolated. Where was Adam when Satan went to Eve? Did we see Eve look to Adam and say, hey, I don't know what's going on here. He's saying something that's really confusing me. There was no reliance on Adam. Eve fell for a false victory because she wasn't surrounded by other God-fearing Christians. Friends, you and I, the victory that is available for us today is when we surround ourselves with other believers, not making our theology my theology and what I feel good about, but when we begin to say, how is Jesus moving in and through you and how are you gonna flow into me all based upon the scripture that he has given us to reveal himself. We fall for false victory when we fail to be with others in Christ. But friends, our struggle isn't in willing sinners to give their lives to Jesus. They are enslaved to the programming of their brains. We were once enslaved by the programming of our brains through sin. Our struggle is helping everyone see that their daily truly, true victory is found in Jesus and in Jesus alone, that they themselves cannot provide the solutions. Our struggle is helping everyone see that their sin is the very thing that leads to their destruction. And yes, friends, there is a loving way to go about this. But the loving thing isn't to affirm everything that they say makes them happy. Parents would never let their children just do everything that makes them happy. We'd have kids jumping off the roofs because they, that made them happy. We don't do that. But there's a loving way to show them the error of their ways. But we must address the sin for what it is. But also continue to show them where true victory comes from. Friends, Paul fills the hearts to change the minds, to keep our hands and feet moving in victory. He changes the heart to affect the mind so that you and I can move in victory. I'm gonna invite the worship band on up. We're gonna take communion today. And in this time, friends, there are, there are multiple ways that we can look at communion. There are multiple ways we can look at what is before us. And sometimes in communion, we, we meditate and we think about our sin. We think about what put Jesus on the cross. And yes and amen to that. But friends, today, I want to turn the diamond that is communion and look at it from a different angle. See a different face of it. Because today we celebrate in victory recognizing and knowing that there is an answer well beyond ourselves, that there is an answer that is available to you and to me that we don't have to rely on you and me for it. The word says that if we are to be knitted together, then and then, then and only then, will we have a complete understanding of who Jesus Christ is and who he is in our lives. And so friends, at this moment, I would invite you, uh, if you didn't grab a, a communion cup, go ahead and do that. But would you stand with me? And as the worship band gets ready, 
we want to take this time to reflect, yes, on our sin, but also on the victory that is before us. Not for tomorrow, not for 50 years down the road, but we can reflect on the victory that is available for you and for me today. And we're going to sing a song afterwards, and it says, and I'll take you at your word. That if you said it, we will believe it. That every season we walk through, victory is present. Good days and bad days. Good months, bad months. Good years, bad years. That every season we can have the wisdom and knowledge of Jesus Christ. So that we can have the victory of Jesus Christ. So today... We remember, as Jesus commanded us, when we gather to think of him and his sacrifice. And he took the bread and he said, this is my body given for you. It's given for us. The greatest victory of all time has been made available. And he said, take and eat. And in the same way, he took the cup. And he said, this is my blood pouring out for you. And in the pouring of Jesus' blood came a new covenant, a new era, where all barriers were broken down, where the curtain was torn, and we were given direct access to God himself. And so today, we don't think of how we can bunker down, how we can figure out. We celebrate the victory that is found in Jesus alone. So today, we drink. Father, we thank you and we praise you for the victory that you've made available for each and every one of us today. I pray if there is someone who is, not, who is here who has not discovered this victory, that this may be the clinchpin, the very thing that breaks their back to understanding the weight of your goodness. God, would you go before us? You've given us your word. Would you help us believe it? We thank you. We praise you. It's through the power of your Holy Spirit, in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Would you worship with us this morning? Thanks for listening to this week's message from the Napoleon Church of the Nazarene. We invite you to join us each Sunday morning at 9 or 10.30 a.m. for weekly worship and community with other believers. For more information about upcoming events or ways you can connect, find us on Facebook or visit us at napnaz.org. Have a great week.